Hey everyone, this is Isaac Smolden, the producer over at my house. Just filling you in on a couple things about today's episode. We actually had a great conversation with Alicia, and it was so long, and also her story is so powerful that we really wanted to split it into two parts. So what you're hearing today is just the first half of our conversation with Alicia. Because we are splitting it into two parts, that means you're all going to have to wait two weeks until part two, which I highly recommend tuning in for. Just so that we can get this announcement out in time for people to be able to take advantage potentially, I wanted to let you know that Alicia Buzz is doing a book signing at Fireside Books in Palmer on April 23rd. You can go down and meet her, chat with her about her story, get a signed copy of her new book, Out of the Wilderness, which there will be a link to the website to buy that book in the episode description. Also, I want to let everyone know, just ahead of our normal trigger warning, that this episode is especially heavy and may be extra triggering to anyone that's a survivor of sexual assault and also may not be the episode to listen to if you have young children nearby. All right, without any further ado, here's Stacy, Julia, and Alicia. Enjoy the show. Warning. Some content discussed in this podcast can be triggering to survivors of sexual assault and difficult to hear. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Redemption Podcast with your hosts, Stacy and Julia. Welcome to Episode 5 of Redemption. Today, as our guest, we have Alicia Dirksen. She is the author of the book, Out of the Wilderness. Welcome, Alicia. Thanks for being here with us. Thanks. Thanks for having me today. Good. Well, Isaac, before we get started, do we have any housekeeping items? Yeah, we actually have a couple stuff, guys. Um, on the 30th of April, just reminding everyone again that at both the Wasilla and the Palmer Fred Meyer, they're doing a prescription drug uh, take-back program. So if you have any extra prescription drugs that are laying around the house uh, for free, they will gather those back from you just to get them out of the medicine cabinet. If you you know they're past expiration date, for whatever reason, you just want them out of the house, they're doing that all for free. That's, again, on the 30th of April, and on the podcast side of things, uh, new episode of My Voice and My House podcast last week. Uh, we had Linda Chud on the My House podcast last week. That was nice. really fun. I love Linda so much. Yes. She's so yeah, love me Linda. too. She's so awesome. So go back, listen to those. My Voice, I think, was really good as well. Uh, Diag Nonsense was just me, Justin, and Kurt, but that was a really good conversation. So yeah, still chugging along and lots of stuff to look forward to as well. So just Make sure you're staying tuned in for all those different shows. All right. Thank you so much, Isaac. Thank you, Isaac. Well, Alicia, I really want to thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, I actually met you uh, the year of 2000 in Wheatland, Wyoming, uh, when your family was passing through, when you were still with your family. And so this is why uh, I was really interested uh, in your story and your book, because I feel like I kind of know you guys or knew you back then. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about the book real quick. So Alicia Dirksen is the oldest of 15 children born to ex-hippies Robert and Karina Hale, also known as Papa Pilgrim and Country Rose. She grew up in a dilapidated 341-square-foot log cabin in the sanguine de Cristo Mountains of New Mexico, isolated mm. from civilization by the fundamentalist father intent on keeping his large family cloistered from a godless world. 
When she was 19, Papa Pilgrim began taking liberties with Alicia Bow in unimaginable ways and beating her and her siblings when he judged them to be rebellious. The horrific sexual and physical abuse continued after the family moved to a remote valley in the Alaska wilderness. After 10 years of terrifying mistreatment, Elisheba gathered her courage to make a run for it on a snowmobile. What happens next is the basis for a powerful, dramatic story about perseverance, faith, and redemption, as well as forgiveness. So, Elisheba, thank you so much for joining us and being brave enough to tell some of your story for us. So where did the story begin? Well, like it said, like you read there, definitely started it when I was born, um, way out in the deserts of California. Mm. But then my memories start, of course, in the mountains of New Mexico when I was a a little girl. Yeah. Uh, After my papa had got religion, um, one of my first memories was as I think I was like four, five, Papa came to us, came to me and my brother and said, you know, um, I want you to take your little doll and your toys and throw them in a white feed sack and we're going to drive out to the valley dump mm. and get rid of them because uh, they're evil and you're worshiping idols. And I just remember feeling like I was so evil that I would be worshiping my little doll over God. Mm. But my heart was torn in two because I loved my little, I didn't have toys. I just had my little tiny uh, doll named Betty. And my brother had his teddy bear and some trucks. And and we drove way out in the old 41 Chevy truck and we stopped and got out and took that feed sack of toys and it was hard pushing that thing over the edge mm. and watching it tumble to the bottom valley dump. And I just cried all the way home. <sighs> I'm literally picturing that in slow motion and that would be such a significant and traumatic memory from like a really early part of your childhood. Yeah. And what happened inside of me was horrific because I I wasn't thinking, you know, okay, now we got to get rid of these dolls. I was thinking I'm evil. I, so I worship my doll. I didn't know I was doing that. Yeah. Like what's wrong with me? Why do, why do I like this doll, but it's bad. Right. And then there was a lot of that, you know, feeling throughout your whole childhood. Yes. I, it was a constant shock. Like, Another day, he said, no more pretending. We're not allowed to pretend. Well, I really got confused. I thought that meant we couldn't play. Uh, so once again, you know, the inside, I'm like, we're not allowed to play anymore. And then Papa got really angry with me for playing on him. He said, I'm playing and manipulating and using words. I'm like, I don't understand. You said we weren't allowed to play. And so... He sends me to the woods to get a willow branch and he's, he was beating me. I'm five, something five, six. I think I was five actually. Anyways, I'm holding my hands out and he's beating my wrist and I 
every time he heard us, it felt like inside of me that Papa wanted me to hurt. There was something about it. And so the louder I cried and the harder I screamed, the worse it got. But I was mm. so confused because I didn't know the difference between words. I didn't know why I was pretending and playing different. Or even that there was anything, a different way to play, that this, this, this wasn't normal, that this wasn't what other families were like. Right. So yeah. from so from then on, you didn't do any kind of play and you didn't have toys. You didn't do any of that, right? Right. So we didn't have toys. And then, you know, if you don't have toys, it, it leaves you to your imagination. Right. And I, I would have a, a stick and I would like pretend it was my doll and feel so evil inside because I did something like that. And Papa also told us that well, at first I called him daddy, but then he sat us down and this is early ages. I mean, I'm we're really, I was really little, but he's like, I have another revelation from God. Um, he sat us all around and he's like, you're no longer allowed to call me daddy anymore. You're, you're to call me Papa. And because God is called Abba and it was like this, it was close to being like God. And in my mind, that was a really scary thing because if I, what if I slipped and called him daddy, mm. I would be in trouble. So you're not allowed to play. You're the oldest of 15. I could imagine that you just take over that caretaker role, walking on eggshells, trying to make sure that everybody doesn't do anything that isn't allowed, that isn't, you know, godly that god would disapprove of what did you guys do to experience joy you know what were those moments that did that brought you guys joy as as siblings just you as an individual like those little moments of just sunshine in between all of the everything that you went through as a kid yeah that's a good question it took me a long time to even remember the joyful things because of all the pain, it would just like take me right to the trauma. And as I've healed over the years, I've been able to remember those memories. And one memory that comes to mind, and I would look forward to when the storm would come and the rain would start falling, we would all run into the house and pop popcorn. And we didn't, of course, we didn't have any uh, movies. I don't even know if they if I knew they existed because, (laughs) but, uh, and all the books that he had ever like tried to read went into the poo hole. So, um, the one he, my father read other than the Bible was Pilgrim's Progress and boy, my father could make it come alive. So we'd pop popcorn and we'd all sit down on the floor and listen to him read from Pilgrim's Progress and, and the, while the rain poured on the roof. Oh. And every good memory had a hard part in it. So, right. so I would be, my job was to sit at his feet and rub his feet and take care of him while he read to us. And how old were you then? Well, from the time as I can remember. Mm. Yeah. 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 So so when did the, uh, the music um, part of your family 
uh, come to play? Because you all played instru- uh, musical instruments. I remember in Wyoming when I met you guys, you all were like playing. Like everybody had these musics, and it was like this hillbilly bluegrass, and it was really good. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was something that happened later on okay. in my life. Yeah. It wasn't until I was like in my 20s. Okay. Oh, wow. We came across a, a fiddle festival which was a weak spot for my father. And to be honest, I saw him compromise. I could tell when he compromised his own words, (laughs) but um, he put all our names in a hat and had us draw out an instrument. And mine was a violin and everybody had their instrument that we were supposed to play. And learn how to play. Learn how to play. But we like- In your twenties and you're just starting to play music and the violin of all things. And I love the violin and music actually became another one of those uh, escapes for me to wear. And it was because when Papa played the guitar and I did grow up with him playing the guitar, he would be happy. And we all lived for Papa to be happy. Because I remember back when I was really little, I'd crawl out of bed out of my in the cabin, the tiny little cabin sleeping, you know, in a pile of little brothers and I'd wake up and the first thing I knew that I had to do was crawl in Papa's lap and kiss him on the lips and make him happy so that I could go to the bathroom because I had learned that if I tried to do anything else other than see Papa first in the morning, I would get in trouble, big trouble. So as soon as I made him happy, you know, I was blue eyed, blonde haired, toehead. Then I would go to the bathroom, which was right behind him on a bucket. And I would, so many times I would sit there as long as I could, just because I didn't feel like going back and crawling in his lap. And I would, he would call on me and say, what's taking so long? You're just hanging out, get over here. And I would, I would get up and come sit in his lap and hours and hours would go by with him preaching to us from the King James Bible. And a lot of what he told us was how evil and wicked and dark the world was, um, that we were the only ones left, that we would just have to pray that God would bring somebody just like us. And that even the people that claimed they were Christians were wolves in sheep's clothing. So that was getting pretty scary. At the same time, it was normal because it was all I knew. Like we were the only ones. That's what Papa said. And the rest of the world is evil. And thank God that you were there and and where you were, you were safe there, you know. So you were born in California? Is that that what you said? And then you, how old were you when you moved to New Mexico and how old were you when you moved to Alaska? I was three when we moved to the mountains at 9,000 feet in the Wrangell Mountains. I mean, I'm sorry. (laughs) 9,000 feet in the <laughs> Rocky Mountains of New Mexico. Yeah. And, and I was 24, I think it was, when we moved to Alaska. Okay. So what made him want to move to Alaska? Well, to be honest, I, I'll go back to for running. I believe my father was running from the law and a lot of bad stuff behind us. Mm-hmm. Um so we headed to Alaska to try to find a new start. 
Okay. And then you moved to where in Alaska again? And then, yeah, well, we were all over Alaska for like two years, something like that. And then we headed out, we found the place way out in the Wrangell Mountains, which was way out there. Like there's the town of McCarthy and Kennecott. It's a copper mine. Yeah. Most Alaskans I'm talking about. And then we lived up the valley the McCarthy Valley, which is like 14 river crossings. And there's a little airstrip, but um, mainly we got up in the winter time on our snow machines. Gotcha. So very different from New Mexico, but what, what similarities and what differences were there in the communities that you grew up in, in New Mexico. And then when you transitioned and got settled in, in Alaska. I think the biggest difference was the fact that in New Mexico, once I turned 12, 13, uh, about that age, my father started hiding me out. I wasn't allowed to be seen by anyone anymore, Um, even though we weren't, we didn't see people very much because we lived really out in nowhere. Right. Right. but up until that point, sometimes I get to ride the horse with him down to the post office <clears throat> or um, in the little town of Mora. It was a small little village. But he decided that because I was a girl, that's what I heard, and that I couldn't be seen anymore. So I was really isolated. Every time we went to town in the old trucks, we had to have curtains or I had to duck down below the dashboard and I wasn't allowed to be seen. I started really wishing I was a boy actually Uh, but at that point my father started also I wasn't allowed as much to be out and I was supposed to be at his feet rubbing his feet or in his lap taking care of him and massaging him and then suddenly he would switch and it was like this he would just send me outside Um, and then there was other times where if I didn't come quickly, kind of like the the thing on the little toilet and to get in the bath with him or to go to bed. I felt trapped and I felt really uh, guilty for feeling trapped. Mm -hmm. It's quite a crazy thing. But he also had ingrained in my mind that it was my job to make him happy. And so even as a younger age, I would watch Papa yell and scream and He'd get really angry with mama and he would beat her. And he told me that I was, it was my job to keep him happy. So I actually thought it was my fault every time mom suffered and every time everybody was being beat. So my, my younger age was really grew into being pretty isolated So the difference between that life and coming to Alaska was all of a sudden we were stuck like fish out of water when we landed because we didn't have anywhere. We didn't have no wilderness. Mm. So we would be like caught in a garage or a a yard sale. I mean, not a yard sale. (laughs) (laughs) It's a new kind of wilderness. Yeah, it felt like Completely foreign. He would have to hide us out and put rags in our mouth to beat us so that no one would hear us. And it was just a different type of a world where, um, yeah. 
Can I just say how sorry I am that you all experienced that? And I hearing you talk about your story, I, I can recognize how you were being groomed at a very, very young age to, to, be, to be there for him and to please him and to be a role that really you weren't born to be. And, uh, and that's how um, relationships of abuse began. And a lot of your story I'm relating to in ways I can't even really, I mean, I mean, because I came to from the Christian cult of, in South Carolina when I was in my early, early 20s. And uh, the prophet of God was there and you didn't displease him. Uh, he would preach, you know, f- you know, it was all fear based. And um, yeah, just your stories bringing back uh, a lot of memories. And, uh, and I just wanted to interject in there and just tell you how sorry I am that you experienced that. But you are so brave. And thank you um, for sharing your story with us. Okay, so let's go on. <laughs> I just had to thank get that you. out. Thank yeah. you, Stacy. And I remember meeting you. And it's amazing the fact that we met in Idaho, right? On the way to Alaska? Well, it was Wyoming and your trucks broke I, down. Yeah. And, How and, the heck did you two and, meet? Yeah. So they were in Wyoming uh, in their big, big trucks, these big, like army looking trucks that had like a cabin thing on the back. And there was, and they had this raven bird, I remember. I mean, they, they were yeah. just, yeah. And there was yeah. like what? 15 of these, you know, 17 total. And, uh, and they broke down and uh, one of our friends had met them and was going to help them fix their trucks. So they brought them back to their big farm that they lived on, our friends of ours in Wyoming. And we went over and that's how we met them and they started playing music and then Papa Pilgrim would preach some. And then I remember uh, trying to talk, you know, with, with you know, with Elisha, Alicia a little bit. And uh, yeah, I, I remember the whole family back then. Uh, how old were you at that point, Alicia? That was the year 2000. Yeah, I think that's when I was 24. <laughs> I'm not doing the math right now. Yeah, yeah. No, no math needed. But but that was on your way to Alaska from yes, that Mexico. Was, that was that part of your journey. And that's how, that's when you two met. Yeah. That's and, crazy. And and she was there for about, I think you were there at least a month working on those trucks. It was, it was a while. Oh. So I got, I got to watch the interactions and, and I, and I have to tell you, um, when I would see your interaction with your father, I just had so many red flags inside of me because I was always wondering, well, one, why would he kiss you on the lips all the time? And two, why would he want you to go take the baths with him? So there were some things inside of me, but then coming from my Christian cult and all the sexual abuse I had experienced, I wow. was recognizing some things, but uh, I didn't know how to reach out. Um, but uh, I, I, I remember seeing that. So this, one, th- this makes us really personal, this story, this book, because our past did intertwine briefly there. And we didn't know at the time that each of us was experienced or what we had experienced. And uh, it's just uh, super, super cool yeah. that we get to come together, bring our voices together to be heard, to help others. So, wow. Stacy, what were you, where wow. were you at in your life at that point? Well, why we had, why were you in Wyoming? We had come out of our Christian cult in South Carolina, and we had friends that were in the same cult who had moved to Wyoming. They came out as well at the same time, and they were a really great family. And so we ended up moving there to be close to friends because we didn't really have a lot of friends or family. Yeah, makes and, sense. And that's why we wanted to be with them, and they're still good friends today. And so, uh, and that's why, and then we've actually followed that family up to Alaska and I did it. And gotta they, love Alaska guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Alicia, well, you know. I want to I want to ask you really <laughs> quick um, because when Stacy's talking about these trucks, like um, that was actually something that I was wondering is how did you guys make your way up to Alaska? At, at this point, I'm imagining like a military convoy almost just going Same. going up the Alcan. Yeah, describe it. Oh my word! Well, see, like that big six by six army truck. That was uh, that was the one I was driving. <laughs> And when, like, I was driving through Denver, Colorado, and here I am, like, a mountain girl. I, the first time I drove it was, oh, my, that was a different story. But (laughs) we had taken a trip down south, and before it was all done, we had been camping out in the forest, and they'd been trying to kick us out. And meanwhile, we met this family that my father was going to uh what you call subduct or (laughs) he convinced the mother and her daughter who was 12 to leave her husband and run away with us literally so we had SWAT teams all around us and I had never driven on the highway and that night my father out of just pure anger had me pick up the trailer and he backed up the old 41 Chevy and just literally crunched me between the trailer and the um, old truck, broke my shoulder and got out and started screaming and yelling and telling me to get a gun and shoot all the horses. And here I was in shock. I was like total shock. And I just remember reaching up there and trying to find a gun, but pretend I wasn't getting a gun. And even at that moment, I really just wanted to get the gun and shoot myself. And I don't know why, but all throughout my life, God gave me grace to keep going. Um, <clears throat> so not to tell that whole story, that's even in my book, I did tell the story. But in the morning, we were surrounded with SWAT teams everywhere, and they sent us out. And I had a broken shoulder. I couldn't drive. I had one arm and never been on the highway before. Did you know your arm was, your shoulder was broken? Right. Did you know? I didn't even, no. I, yeah, it was, it, I was in shock still. And they offered to take me. And my father stepped in and said, no, she doesn't need it. She's fine. Um, and I remember one officer was kind of kind. I, they were a little rough because they were pretty much hot on us. But he was like, you know, you're an adult. You can make that decision. And I'm like, just told him my decision. What The same thing that Papa told me was, you know, I'm fine. And <clears throat> I crawled into that old truck, that old uh, six by six army truck, hooked to a trailer with seven horses in it. And my little brother, David, was beside me to change the gears for me. And I headed out. I, I didn't even have a driver's license. And they didn't want to stop us. They wanted to like stalk us. So I head out and I'm going on the highway and I started freaking out. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm driving a tank. And I pulled over for a minute and got a breath and kept going for hundreds of miles until we got back. So then on the way to Alaska, uh, it was kind of like, really shocking i was driving down denver colorado where there was like a wall of cars and one of my tires blew up and i just like watched the the sea part i don't know how 
but I know God was there. Yeah. <laughs> and moved everybody out of the way and kept me from running over top of somebody. Oh. Just like ran into the middle of concrete. So there were so many times on the way to Alaska that we broke down and it was crazy. Yeah, but you had some sort of a guardian angel above you keeping you safe. And keeping yes. you going, keeping you going. So, And that's all throughout my life. I could tell you all kinds of stories, how he was there. Wow. 